Hello, and welcome back to the Pollock Pod. My name is John Ochoa, and I'm joined again with Ron Rognes, the Director of Industry Relations, Partnerships, and Fishery Analysis. How you doing, Ron? I'm doing good, John. How about yourself? Doing good. You know, it's been a busy week. But... Yeah, I wanted to talk about that this week. Tell us a little bit about what your experience was. Uh, yeah. It's kind of fascinating and how we advance the uh, presence of wild Alaska pollock in sports and entertainment venues. We are now bi-coastal when it comes to arenas serving wild Alaska pollock, which is uh, it's a very fun development. So yeah, we just launched, well, it's been in the arena for a little bit, but kind of had the official launch of wild Alaska pollock in UBS Arena out in New York where the Islanders play. So that was a fun experience. We went over there and we're able to uh, talk with the chefs and see what they've been able to create with the fish and just listen to them about what their experience has been working with the fish and being able to use it in so many versatile ways. And so we talked with both the chefs there and were able to try the dishes, watch the game, which was an exciting game. We also had an influencer, Emily D'Souza, Seaside with Emily, and she was out there with us celebrating the launch, recapping the whole event. So overall, just a really big success. And we're really excited about where we can take Wild Alaska Pollock in terms of sports and seafood. So it's been interesting to me how much they've elevated their game. You know, it used to be you'd have hot dogs and, you know, nachos, and that was about it. And it's just really impressive what you see now at these places. And it's great to get Wild Alaska Pollock and seafood in there. There's one place called the Dime Club, and it's more so a different experience than what you would say maybe a normal uh, arena would be, more of the club experience. But you go in there and there's just a whole bunch of food that's available. And so you go and, and you kind of pick whatever you're feeling. And so when we were there, we saw just a lot of lines congregating to this uh, new kind of addition in the Wild Alaska Pollock Tacos that were there, not only in the Dime Club, but also in the market at 102. And um, there's some in the suites as well. So there was a good footprint in terms of where Wild Alaska Pollock was available. But overall, it was looking really promising. That's fantastic. And this is, you know, a direct result or a direct product of the Salton Stall Kennedy grant mm-hmm. uh, that we received last year, focusing on expanding Wild Alaska Pollock beyond Climate Pledge Arena through the Oakview Group and its affiliated companies. So I very much appreciate that grant and good to see that it's being put to good use. Yeah. Thanks for the update on that. Yeah, of course. Speaking of updates, we're getting a lot of data coming out on your side. And so I guess we haven't really talked about this, but do you think you could give a little bit of a breakdown on why GAP does collect data on the fishery and the market in the first place and why we do that? Sure. So when I came on board, as first a part-time consultant with GAP, one of the primary focuses was that we wanted GAP to be kind of the go-to depository for data related to the wild Alaska pollock fishery and the wild Alaska pollock markets. So following that, I started first publishing weekly reports while the fishery is in progress that reports on weekly catches, weekly production of various processed products. Then we expanded that into monthly reports with trade statistics. Mm-hmm. The first, we did it combined with the U.S. and EU, and then the EU kept getting later and later in terms of their posting of data. So we ended up separating the two. So we have one monthly U.S. trade report and one monthly e report Mm -hmm. and then in addition to that this i wasn't involved in the the creation of it but uh, gap puts out a quarterly report called the serimi pace tracker Mm -hmm. and 
And that contains production, trade, inventory data on streaming that is produced really from all the different species that is produced from around the world. And that was a, you know, a direct result of our members requesting that they have better visibility into the streaming market because it just hadn't been done before. Mm-hmm. And then in February of each year, we update all of the data series on annual trade statistics, the catches of Alaska Pollock, the value of the catch, and other data series that we think would be useful to our members, such as exchange rates. Mm -hmm. It's available to our members for their own use. They can use it in their business planning. They use it for their customer presentations. And then we also use that data to provide answers to questions that we get from, you know, various seafood media outlets. So it's it's proven to be, I think, a useful tool for our members. And then certainly, you know, this time of year when the December import and export numbers are posted, uh, we do have the U.S. We don't have the EU December numbers yet. That'll mm-hmm. be available in about a week or so. But we can start taking a look at these numbers now and really see kind of what the year looked like in terms of, you know, the operation of the fishery, the production that took place, and then changes in where that product ends up going. Mm -hmm. So you have the final numbers in terms of the U.S., at least in 2023. Yep. Finished that. I think it came out late last week. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a little bit of time over the weekend and then earlier this week updating these Excel spreadsheets Mm -hmm. that, like I said, we make available to our members. What jumps out at you there? What do you take away from what you've been seeing? The first thing that jumps out at me when I look through the numbers and, and particularly when we have a historical perspective is just how well this fishery performs year in and year out. Mm -hmm. Over the last 11 years in Eastern Bering Sea, for example, directed catch has averaged about 97% of the total allowable catch, or what we call TAC, uh, with the balance going mostly for bycatch of Alaska pollock and other fisheries because the fisheries managers account for every Alaska pollock that's pulled out of the water in terms of measuring against the quota so that we don't exceed it. So, you know, when you think about it, Given the weather conditions in the Bering Sea in the Gulf of Alaska, you know, particularly in January, February, and March, definitely, uh, you think of the remoteness of the fishery and where that processing occurs. It, it's really pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Then I think in looking at the production of processed products, you know, we expected production was going to increase because of the seventeen percent increase in the TAC that we had in two thousand twenty-three, mm-hmm. and for virtually all of the products, they did. I mean, there was a couple of minor products where production was down, pin bone in fillets, which is a very much a niche product that's mm-hmm. sold primarily into Europe, was down slightly. But I guess when you look at the numbers, deep skinned Alaska pollock, and that's the pollock that you'll find in the various QSR segments, that production was the highest since two thousand seven, about just under 59,000 tons. And I think that shows the continued strength of that market. You know, we're working, for example, with Arby's this Lent, Mm -hmm. promoting their Wild Alaska Pollock fish sandwich, two for $6. I've had them already and they're really good. So it's not only a great product, but it's a great value. And we're pleased to, you know, partner with Arby's to support that promotion. In looking at the other things, I was a little surprised by the relative magnitude of the increases in Surimi versus PBO fillet production. Pinbone out is kind of the standard fillet product uh, that's put up by our members. Mm -hmm. Uh, Production was up of that product, 9% to just over 96,000 tons, where Surimi production was up 21%, you know, a greater percentage than the increase in the quota. That surprised me a little bit because I thought, you know, the fillet market was a little stronger, but perhaps, you know, members were anticipating the increased competition from Russian fillets, particularly in the EU, and that probably, you know, tempered their their fillet production. Mm -hmm. 
And then when you look at the other products, minced production was up strongly, 34%. And then it's still, for me, striking just to see how fillet production has decreased from, to, like, say, 2011 to 2019. Over those nine years, fillet production out of our fishery was 175,000 metric tons. Over the last four years since, that production has averaged less than 148,000 tons. So, you know, certainly less fillet uh, production coming out of the fishery. Mm-hmm. You know, between those two time periods. So it's, uh, you know, it's just, again, it's, it, it's unbelievable. You got a chance to go out on a, on a boat, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to witness the production up in Dutch Harbor, the catch and production. I'm continuing to be amazed at how these companies achieve what they do. Oh, yeah. They're very efficient. I guess another thing I want to talk about too is just real quick, but there is a lot of QSRs coming out right now with their limited time offerings. And so Yeah, and I think we certainly want to see, you know, one of the one of the ways that we could have probably the most immediate and most significant impact is to get the QSR segment to start offering wild Alaska pollock year round, not mm-hmm. just Lent. Yeah. Arby's actually last year had a hush puppy breaded fish strip. Made mm. from deep skinned wild Alaska pollock. I had it a number of times. It was a great product, but yeah, the you know that's that's something we really would like to achieve is to see those sales year round uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, it seems that people are really wanting that option. I know with the crispy fish sandwich from Arby's, people have it's been received very well uh, so far from from what I've heard from you even before Lent started. So yeah, and, and I heard from Arby's this week that that the promotion that's utilizing the Gap partnership funds mm-hmm. uh, just started on Tuesday. So that'll include digital advertising, social media, you know, I think what we see like other companies, you know, mm-hmm. there's just a lot more movement into rather than broadcast TV into the digital space and on social media platforms. And so we'll, you know, you'll be seeing Wild Alaska Pollock mentioned. And that's a big, you know, plus for us is getting the references to Wild Alaska Pollock, not just a crispy fish sandwich. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting when I first saw the uh, commercial for it, you know, the Arby's has that distinctive voice yeah. on their commercials you know, uh, we have the meats and it was really kind of cute to, to hear him say wild Alaska Pollock. Yeah. Wild caught Alaska Pollock, I think is the terminology they used. Yeah. Like you said, it's a very iconic voice. I definitely had some pride in, in, in hearing that, but yeah, no, I mean, in terms of the social and the digital advertisements, that's definitely for me, at least the way to go. Broadcast seems to be dying off slowly and slowly, unfortunately. But uh, the good thing is that it, the world's made a pretty, pretty good pivot into the digital space. So and, yeah, if you're going to reach that 18 to 34 year old consumer, I mean, that's where you need to be. Yeah, that's me. So but besides the point, uh, what about the trade data that you're seeing? Uh, what has it been telling you? Oh, you mean like the monthly imports and exports? Yes. You know, I've got these spreadsheets set up in front of me. I'm kind of picking and choosing as I go here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, fillet exports increased by 11,000 metric tons in 2023 versus 2022, which was certainly less than the 18,000 ton increase in production. Mm-hmm. And you know, we'll talk about what's left for the domestic market after exports, but certainly that leaves more product for the domestic market. And mm-hmm. so, you know, what, when we get to that, we'll talk about how the fillet supply in the United States has increased. When you look at the other ones uh, or other product categories, row production, which is virtually all exported to Asia, you know, the pleasant surprise there was a decent increase in price. We hadn't seen that 
for a number of years, mm-hmm. highest average price since 2020. So, so that was good news. We know that the price increases in other products, really for the array of products, peaked mm-hmm. in 2023. I think Serimi peaked a little bit later than Philips, and we've seen substantial reductions in price. Uh, so there'll be more affordable product in the marketplace. I'm, I you know fully expect that that's going to increase promotions uh, both in the United States and abroad. A real bright spot has been the price for fish oil. That's used in primarily human supplements, pet and animal feeds. Mm-hmm. The price for fish oil increased from $3,300 per metric ton in 2022 to over 4,800 bucks a ton in 2023. Big jump. Yeah, it's a real, it's a really big jump. Uh, and I, you know, we'll see what kind of impact that that has on the marketplace. Now, I will say this: that you know, we can't segregate Alaska Pollock fish oil and fish meal in the export statistics. Mm-hmm. So I, when I publish that, I look at exports out of the West Coast. You know, most of that's either going to be. Uh, wild Alaska Pollock, there'll be some whiting, mm-hmm. Pacific whiting or Pacific hake fish meal or fish oil that's on the West Coast, harvested in the West Coast, and probably some salmon. But you know, I think certainly those price increases, you know, have applied to what they're producing out of whitefish. Mm-hmm. Definitely. In terms of Europe, you know, we're seeing a decline in the volume of total Alaska Pollock slash Pollock supply in 2021. And I apologize. Yeah, you know, this is these there's a lot of numbers here. No, so you know, I don't know how well that comes across if you don't have the visual aid to help support it. But in 2021, the total supply into the US, that's from China, Russia, and the US, was just under 245,000 tons in 2022. That had fallen to 242,000 tons. So if you know 3,000 ton decline. Mm-hmm. And then through November of 23, again, we don't have those December numbers yet. Imports are down 6.6%. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we see the overall supply going down in terms of the composition of that market. We're seeing a change in the origin of those fillet imports. There's been a clear reversal in 2022. Russia had increased its market share 28.3% from 20.6% in 2021. Most of that had come at the expense of the U.S. as its market share decreased from, what is it, 31.5% to 21.8%. Now in 2023, both Russia and the U.S. have seen their market shares decline through November Mm. as Chinese twice frozen product increased its share from 49% to over 55%. And that's, you know, that's troubling. Yeah. Uh, Just honest with you. you know, we want to see more single frozen product in the European market. You know, the more twice frozen product, the more negative experiences consumers are going to have. So, definitely. you know, that's 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 definitely a concerning number. Yeah. And I know we're taking some steps to, to try to, you know, help with those kind of issues. And so I guess we'll keep you all updated as we as we keep going along. But so you mentioned that you have updated the gap member database that looks at the U.S. supply of Alaska Pollock products. And I know that we have that updated on the website now for our members. Uh, what can you tell us about what you see there uh, with that data? Yeah, my year-ending tables consist of, uh, we've got a number of them. One shows the end. You know, I tried to create tables that, in my experience, whether as a buyer or working for a member company, I had frequent need to go back and or to find and pull it into to numbers. And I found myself 
you know, having to do it from scratch too many times. So I thought that our members would appreciate having all this stuff mm-hmm. in one set of tables. And we have data that uh, we have a spreadsheet that includes the annual biomass of Alaska Pollock, the amount of catch by sector relative to their apportionments, global catches of Alaska Pollock as reported by FAO, Alaska Pollock product production, exports, imports of Pollock and competitive products like cod, tilapia, pangasius, and then the overall domestic supply of Alaska Pollock and, mm-hmm. and per capita consumption. And, you know, of those, one of the things that we watch really pretty closely is the percent of U.S. Pollock of the total Alaska Pollock, wild Alaska Pollock slash Pollock supply. Mm-hmm. And the data really confirms in 2023 that we're seeing the U.S. market, as we mentioned before, continuing to become more important. For fillets, from 2006 to 2015, the percent of the total combined U.S. Pollock and Alaska Pollock supply that was represented by wild Alaska Pollock averaged about 46% and it was as low as 33% uh, mm-hmm. in a couple of years. So only a third of the Pollock slash wild Alaska Pollock that was being consumed in the U.S. was U.S. origin. Mm-hmm. In the eight years since 2015, that number has averaged 63%. And in 2023, it was 71%, which is the highest number that we've seen over this 18-year period. Mm-hmm. So you know, encouraging. I mean, it's a product of a number of things. Certainly, our ability to protect the Alaska Pollock name in the United States is, has contributed to that increased market share that U.S. Pollock has. Definitely. And I think, you know, hopefully it's a snowball effect. I yeah. guess you know, if the more good experiences people are having with our species in terms of consumption, I think the better off we are. And I would expect that market, you know, to continue to strengthen. What are you seeing on the Surimi Pace side then? Well, for Surimi, we import very little Surimi Pace. So virtually all of the Surimi Pace that's in the United States is of domestic origin. Mm. Uh, however, we cannot effectively track imports of Surimi seafood products, you know, the finished products. Yeah. It's in a cap import category that includes a bunch of other products. Uh, one of the things we're looking at at Gap is is coming up with a definition or a product description that we can use to create a category that is exclusive to Surimi seafood and wouldn't include, you know, these other products. Uh, we do track the percent of Surimi production that stays in the United States. That number kind of bounces around. It was around nine percent in 2023. It was 13.7 percent in 2020. But you know, the Surimi it's it's a it's got a pretty long shelf life so mm-hmm. you know what we are talking about when we look at this supply is really kind of a product disappearance we're not able to account for inventories that are held over from year to year so my guess is you know that when we see the individual annual variances it probably does fall into that average range of about 13% and then we also estimate per capita consumption of wild alaska pollock I started NFI's top 10. This is going to age me a little bit here, John. Yeah, just a little bit. In 1988, <laughs> Lee Wegg of NFI came to me and he wanted something to have a media hook on mm-hmm. an annual basis. And so he asked me to create a top 10 seafood items in the U.S., you know, through per capita consumption. And they mm-hmm. still release that number today. Yeah. And, you know, it's a, it's an estimate. It's There's, there's variance uh, to it. Uh, one of the challenges is that I've sharpened my pencil a little bit over the years mm-hmm. to try to make sure that I'm only counting products from fish sticks and portions that would be likely to be made from Alaska Pollock. There's no way to, uh, to be sure. But looking at it without those sticks and portions, 
I think consumption is going to go down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number for 2022, and this again is combined Pollock and Alaska Pollock. So my number went from 0.858 pounds per person to 0.817, not a big decline. The total supply, when you look at the volume, the total supply dropped from 129,000 tons to 124,000 tons, decrease of about 5,000 tons. Mm-hmm. However, the supply of U.S. origin products increased from 88,000 tons to 98,000 tons. So, you know, saw a, a nice jump in product that's from the U.S. fishery. And then finally, we also, it's a another estimate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we look at the value of the production. And uh, there, it requires a number of assumptions. And, you know, when I calculate a price for the various product forms, I use export prices. These are self-declared prices. Mm-hmm. We have seen them lower than what's been reported to the marketplace lately for fillets. I also have to make an assumption in terms of the value for pin bone out, deep skin, and pin bone in. Overall, the the, the overall value of the U.S. fishery, a wild last pilot fishery, in terms of the production as a you know product of its finished products, was over $1.6 billion wow. uh, in 2023, which is the highest number that I have seen since I started recording or, or estimating this number in 2017, uh-huh. up from $1.375 uh, billion last year. And that works out to average per ton price across all the product forms, $3,126 per ton. So, you know, pretty impressive numbers. All right. Well, thank you, Ron. I appreciate your time today. And uh, to everybody listening, thank you for tuning in. I know that your time is valuable, but I'm very glad that you spend just a little bit of your day with us. So uh, appreciate everybody out there. And uh, Ron, you got any closing words? Nope. And just everybody, you know, stay safe, stay healthy, and go eat a lot of wild Alaska pollock fish sandwiches. Exactly. Exactly. Well, hope you all have a great rest of your day.